Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan, and I'm still stuck in this hellhole that is known as Cadet Summer Training at Fort Knox, and I'm back in the truck recording another episode. But I am very excited about this evening's episode as we are closing in now on just six Saturdays left until we're going to be watching some college football for the 2023 season. Really exciting stuff. I cannot wait. And speaking of other things that I'm excited about, we open today with 27 new members to our Facebook group. The Any Given You Facebook group has seen incredible growth over the last couple of days, and I cannot express my gratitude enough to the U crew going out there and recruiting some more commits to any given you. Really appreciate it. Big shout out to Bob Risden. Of course, people like Rhonda Lynn, who's always extremely active uh, going out there and recruiting folks over to the group and everybody else that has brought their friends to come play with us. I certainly appreciate your diligence in that. So thank you so much for getting people over there. And also remind them, I'll go ahead and drop a QR code in the group this week as well. We are also on Instagram and that's where a lot of our video content and things like that go down over there. You know, so if you're part of the younger hipper crew and you like Instagram a little bit better, hey, we got you. Any given news over there too. And since we've had so much activity in the group, we asked for tonight's episode for topics to unpack on this show. I think it's important that we engage with our followership and as much as I love going through all of the minute details and minutia of upcoming recruiting rankings, position groups, where I think teams are going to fall in the pecking order 2023, discussing what schedules could look like, everything else, why not discuss those things and give back to our community at the same time? So I asked for suggestions. I asked for content from the group things that people in the Any Given You group and our community and our You crew wanted to talk about, things you wanted to hear, things you wanted to unpack. So I have made some selections and I, I'm so excited about this episode that I think this is just going to be a part one installment of many parts to come because there is a lot of fantastic conversation that goes down there on that group. There's also a lot of shit talk and there's some unfounded emotional uh, you know, opinions on there as well from time to time, I think as well too. But nonetheless, I think there is a very highly educated crew there of people that really do love college football and love to discuss the sport 365, 24-7. So we are going to get into that. Our first little nugget of information that we're going to unpack on this show tonight comes at the request of our very own Auburn girl, everyone's favorite, Miss Rhonda Lynn is chiming in and she wants to know about the 2023 rule changes for this upcoming season. So these are actually pretty significant. It will change some dynamics of the college game here this next year. So let's unpack it a little bit. First off, number one, there will be no more consecutive timeouts. So what does that really pertain to? Well, really icing the kicker. Icing the kicker with consecutive timeouts. So a timeout taken obviously back-to-back with no play from scrimmage in between. That cannot happen anymore as per the new updated NCAA rules. So icing the kicker it will be harder. Now, that's not to say that you can't take 
a single timeout to attempt to ice a kicker, but not the back-to-back. So that is not floating in the back of his head whether or not you're going to pull that second time out or he's going to be able to actually engage and kick this ball, right? And that does change the dynamic of that kicking game quite a bit because if you are a kicker, it's a game of, you know, it's sort of a, a poker face game. You know, is that coach going to, going to use that second time out and is this kick going to be all for naught or do we really need to lock into our process here and focus on kicking the ball? It changes things drastically. So no more icing the kicker with consecutive timeouts. Number two, not extending the first and third quarters on untimed downs. Okay. So basically if the last play of the quarter is a defensive penalty in the past, there would be one untimed down that one play from scrimmage that the offense would get in the first and third quarters. That is no longer a thing. However, the game cannot end on a penalty and neither can the half. So in the second and fourth quarters, you can have the untimed down for a defensive penalty. And then lastly, I think the most impactful rule change of the three upcoming here in 2023 is the no running clock. Um, Excuse me, no clock stoppage. It will be a running clock as I was. I'm sorry. No clock stoppage after first down which is something that has extended college games well past three and a half hours if you're really looking into the margins of what costs time. Now, I have mixed emotions about this rule change. It's impactful because the decision, in my opinion, was made to streamline it closer to the NFL game, which is the last thing I actually want. I don't want college football morphing into the NFL, but as we have progressed and as I have talked about on previous episodes, as I have alluded to and foreshadowed to, it's going to happen. Um, So that's just sort of a losing battle there. But what it changes on the actual field, the dynamic of the field, is if you run an up-tempo, college-style, air-raid-type offense, and you're used to these back-and-forth shootouts with a ton of possessions in the game, that is going to become a thing of yesteryear. Teams that dominate the trenches better, play defense better, run the ball better, play with more balance, and are used to games with less possessions and sort of those, you know, under warriors that we talk about. And you can think of teams that do stuff like this. I mean, you think about the NC States, the Iowas, the Michigans, the Georgias, you know, teams that play that physical brand of ball and like to play fewer possessions in the game. That's going to go to their advantage. Now, in the last two minutes, of the second quarter and the fourth quarter, there actually is clock stoppage. So there is a ray of hope for those spread it out and chuck it around teams to possibly make a late comeback. But if you're a team that plays that ball control, lower possessions type game, I mean, shit, think about Army, Navy, and Air Force. Like the unders for those games are already ridiculously low. I think you could shave off another touchdown off of their over-unders if this is how it's going to be. You're going to watch Army-Navy play for like 90 minutes. It's going to be nuts. So, yeah, anyway, good good stuff from Rhonda Lynn there. I hope I answered your questions and unpacked this. Our friend, Mr. Tennessee Volunteer himself, Justin Fanning, decided to chime in on this one. And I quote from Justin, Talk about how nobody is talking about Tennessee winning the Natty, calling it now, which I responded, I would potentially go ahead and put that under a bold prediction, right? But let's talk about the prospects of Tennessee winning the national championship here in 2023. Now, as we know, Tennessee has improved 
drastically in year two, going in now to year three under Josh Heupel, but took a big jump this last year. They were a very, I would say, deceptive offense in the fact that it really was a power run scheme type offense with vertical concepts down the field, sort of a veer and shoot style offense, which is becoming very, very popular around college football right now. It allows you to spread a defense out and put a defense at a disadvantage from down to down if you don't have the personnel to be able to man up with receivers all night long. So what do you do? Do you commit to the box to slow the run or do you commit to the passing game and give those defensive backs help to stop getting hit with 40 and 50 yard touchdown strikes. It puts you sort of in a conundrum there that not a lot of teams are able to figure out. Defensively last year, Tennessee very opportunistic. Not a great defense down to down, but a very good defense in terms of takeaway and creating havoc plays. High risk, high reward. Uh, And you see defenses like that when they are paired up with high-powered offenses, they would rather take the chance uh, at giving up a score to get the ball back for their offense. Now, we have not seen teams that play that sort of feast or famine style, right, have a lot of success later into the season. They usually get got, and that did happen to Tennessee last year. Now, obviously, Georgia has the defensive personnel to do just about any fucking thing they want to do. So they were able to take Tennessee out of that game plan and sit on the ball because of Tennessee's inability to play defense down to down could not stop that Georgia rushing attack as it started to get going later in the game. South Carolina, wild card. I would not have told you that I would have predicted South Carolina, I don't think anybody would, that South Carolina was going to beat Tennessee, let alone beat Tennessee the way they beat Tennessee. But here's the deal. South Carolina had a very particular set of skills, as Liam Neeson would say. They had defensive backs that were able to play that man-up style, and it allowed them to commit numbers to the box to be able to stop and stymie Tennessee's offensive production. Coming into this year, we've got Joe Milton with the laser cannon arm, a stable of good receivers, solid offensive line, running back at Tennessee shouldn't be a concern, and they return a nucleus on defense with a lot of on-the-job training. We'll have to see if that defense can take a step forward, and it would have to be, I think, a pretty legitimate step forward in terms of playing better down-to-down defense. And although the topsoil at Tennessee is pretty good, I would say they're still pretty solid, that depth for Tennessee is still an issue, and I think it's going to continue to be an issue for maybe another year or two because of that whole fiasco with Jeremy Pruitt and the McDonald situation. So, do I agree that Tennessee's going to win the national championship this year? No, but a guy can dream, and we wish you the best, Mr. Justin Fanning. I just think you're going to have to see a much bigger progression on that defensive side of the ball, and Tennessee is also going to have to stop being a bit of a one-pick, uh, one-trick gimmicky offense um, because it's it's a simple formula. It's not easy to stop, but the formula is not complex if you have the personnel to do it, and I think there's plenty of not plenty, but there's enough teams out there in the national uh, national title conversation that could stop Tennessee. So that's my two cents on that. Bob Risden, friend of the podcast, the old ball coach himself, 
good buddy of mine. And if you're over there at the group, you're very familiar with this Alabama, Notre Dame, Wisconsin fan (laughs) that likes to rotate uh, and is not shy about letting you know that he roots for all of those teams. But a very, uh, very solid football mind and, and great conversation with him all the time. He decided to drop a smattering of thoughts, really a stream of consciousness here. Gave us a bunch of things to unpack. And on another note, I would really, really be in his debt, and I think we all would, if Bob was to bring back the Trash Academy Weekly this year in the Any Given You group. And I would love to see him throw it up on the Instagram as well. Trash Academies, those are teams that have underperformed week in and week out, and Bob pulls no punches in his description of those teams and programs. So very funny stuff from him, and I would love to see him bring it back. But number one, he goes ahead and starts off with a bang, right? This is a very polarizing comment, as this is a college football blue blood, a national fan base, and one of the most popular teams in the sport coming in here into 2023 in terms of people's expectations. And to be honest with you, I am actually pretty high on this team coming here into 2023. I like the way that they're built and I think they're ready to put something together. I don't know if it's quite national championship caliber, but I would expect better than last year. But he says, Texas will not be back and followed by an ellipsis, which means there's more to follow, but there was nothing more to follow on that comment, so I will follow it up. Texas, not being back. Okay, well, let's talk about what back for Texas would be. As I have mentioned before, Texas is not what you think of when you think of an Alabama with their multiple, multiple national championships, or even a Notre Dame in their heyday, or an Ohio State with nine national championships. Texas is not in that conversation. Now, Texas is a multiple-time national champion, but most of their success did come back. Um, We're talking years and years ago, 70s, 60s, 50s, and then obviously the successes they, they had with Mac Brown as well in the late 90s and early 2000s. Um, now, Texas being back... What are we talking about? So for me, this is just my opinion, but for Texas to be back to its former self, I think they have to be solidly playing in the Big 12 championship this year. I think that they need to have a 10-win or better season. They need to play for the conference championship. Honestly, they need to win a conference championship. So for me, Texas will not be back will not win the Big 12. That's that's what I think of when we when we say this comment. Not so much that are they're not going to win a national title or they're, you know, they're not going to represent in the playoff, all that other stuff. For me, the Big 12 is a conference that is so topsy-turvy and so wide open every single year. It is a pool of sharks. It really is. Every one of those teams in that conference just about is capable of beating the other teams. Now, of course, I'm talking about the classic ones that have been there, maybe not so much the newcomers coming in. Although I will say teams like UCF and eh, that's about it are set up for success coming into this Big 12 this year. I think they're going to be pretty stout in their first year. The rest of them, I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve stepping up to that P5 level. UCF, obviously a team that has you know, made short work in, uh, of certain teams in the Power Five, and, uh, and it was a, a group of five pain in the ass for years. So 
but do I think that that team is a threat to Texas's status in the Big 12? No. So then you go down the line. Well, you talk about Oklahoma. Oklahoma last year, disappointed just across the board, disappointed. Now, I know they were traumatized from the exit of Lincoln Riley, all the players he took with him, everything else. A little bit of a tailspin there, but they certainly have the roster talent coming back this year and returning a quarterback situation to turn around and right the ship, and they are as talented as Texas is. I just think that Texas is built better in the right places. We're talking about offensive line, wide receiver room. I think defensively up front, they're going to be good again. Um, that backfield, they have young backs. They're going to have to prove themselves, but this is Texas we're talking about. I think that they can find some good running backs. And does Quinn Ewers take another step in maturity this year, or do they go to the bench with two of the most talented backups you could ask for sitting in the game as far as raw potential goes, I think. I, I like this Texas team. I think that they have as good a shot as anyone in that Big 12 of winning the Big 12, I think that this team, if they fire on all cylinders, should win 10 or 11 games this year. In classic Texas fashion, they're probably going to drop a couple they won't. But I am telling you, I have that game with Alabama circled because I think Texas is going to win that game. I think they're going to go to Tuscaloosa. I think they're going to beat Alabama. So my question then is, if we are looking at, let's say, an 11 and 1, you know, Texas at the end of the year, maybe even a 10 and 2 Texas, but with a win over Alabama and playing for a Big 12 title, and let's say they win that Big 12 title, do you consider Texas being quote unquote back to their proper place in college football? I think Texas being back is a 10 plus win consistently playing for conference championships consistently, beating top 10 opponents with some regularity. I think, and not losing and slipping on the banana peel of the teams like the Kansases and the Texas Techs and the, you know, and the Baylors. I'm sorry, they should not lose to those teams. They just shouldn't. Um, so that's my opinion on that. I, I don't, I don't know where to go with that one exactly, but Bob seems to be convinced they're not going to attain that level. He also says USC will not make the playoff too weak in the trenches. Okay, well, I would agree with that assessment historically, and that's also why I did not like them to do it last year, and that's why Utah ran away with the Pac-12 crown again. I think that's acutely aware to Lincoln Riley and the staff there in Los Angeles. They have gone out and addressed the portal hard. I have talked about this on previous episodes. I think they have enough 300-pound bodies there in the trenches now to be able to play with some physicality. And if USC was to take a step forward from, let's say, a top 80 rush defense down to, let's say, top 50 rush defense and a top 50 overall defense with the kind of offensive firepower that you know they're going to produce this next year, I think that easily puts them as the best team in the Pac-12 with the best chance of winning that conference and making it into a playoff spot. Now, here's the thing. Too weak in the trenches, he says, to make the playoffs. I would challenge you with this. Was TCU particularly strong or an elite-level team in the trenches? No. Kansas State won the Big 12. I misspoke on a previous episode when I said TCU did. It was Kansas State, so my apologies. 
Kansas State did enough to stop them in the trenches. Georgia annihilated them in the trenches. Michigan slipped on the fucking banana peel like they usually do in the postseason for some reason, okay? But they should have dominated the trenches in that game too. When you want to talk about Cincinnati as well, right, making the playoff in 2021, let's talk about that. That was a team as a very good and solid group of five team, but you could see on the tape when they stepped up and played Alabama, the trench play wasn't close. So we have had teams in the past that have made the playoff with trench play that was not particularly strong. They found out what level they were actually at when they made it to the playoffs. So I I think that you can make, depending on what league you come out of, the playoff with quote-unquote substandard trench play, you're just going to find out when you get into that playoff, into that level, right? So something to think about. Florida State wins the ACC. Another comment. Um, I think they have a decent shot. I think they have a decent shot of doing that because I think that Florida State I think there's still going to be a two or three loss team this year when you when you raise your head up. I don't like them beating LSU. I don't like them beating Clemson either, to, for that matter. And I think that some combination of North Carolina, Miami, somewhere in there, one of those teams could also hand them a loss, potentially NC State as well. Always game and scrappy, right? So I think they could be a three-loss team, but I, I still think that a three-loss team from the ACC can win the ACC. So... FSU wins the ACC, bold prediction. Do I agree with that? Them winning the conference? No. I think that they could play for it. I think they could. Uh, But I'm not a big enough believer in Florida State to say undoubtedly they're going to win the ACC. The ACC, again, one of those conferences that has been kind of topsy-turvy a little bit in terms of at least one side of the ACC representing. Now that there's no divisions, it's the best two teams in the ACC, and I still think that Clemson is the class of the ACC, even with their struggles over the last couple of years, and I think they're ready to get back to form. And then lastly, Michigan won't beat Ohio State this year. Michigan won't beat Ohio State this year. I will say this about Ohio State. They're supremely talented. Duh. Everybody knows that. I think Ohio State is fundamentally going to have to change some things about the way they call games, about the way they structure themselves to have more success moving forward. Again, with that aforementioned rule change, this plays to Michigan's advantage. A team that is built on the run, the physicality, the defense, and sucking the life out of you. And if you allow the Michigan Wolverines now on a running clock for most of the game to control possessions and take those long drives, Ohio State's going to have to get a lot better at stymieing that and taking that away from Michigan. So uh, I'm not going to say that they won't beat Ohio State this year. I will say that beating your rival, and especially a rival that's as talented as Ohio State three years in a row, is going to be very, very difficult. And I think both Michigan and Ohio State are going to have to look out for another team in that league, which we will discuss here a little bit later in this episode. So I asked a question into the group. I said, name a coach who has surpassed your expectations at their current job. Now, I said Sam Pittman, the old pit boss there in Arkansas. When he was hired a couple of years ago, I was a little skeptic. 
He was an offensive line coach coming out of Georgia. We knew that he was a very good recruiter. We knew that he was a very good positions coach. Just didn't know how that was going to translate as a head coach. But I really do think that Arkansas, just culturally, was probably the best, in hindsight, probably the best fit for a guy like Sam Pittman. I mean, just the Razorback, the offensive line, sort of gritty, tough, you know, sort of history that Arkansas has played with in the past. I think he was a beautiful compliment to that program coming in, and he's had a lot of success doing that. Sam Pittman, in his short tenure there in Fayetteville, I think in his second year, had won more SEC games at Arkansas that Ar- than Arkansas had managed to win in like three or four years prior to that or something like that. So, yeah, a ton of success. To be honest with you, I didn't think – that he was actually even going to make it to three or this being coming up on his fourth year there in Arkansas. I just didn't think it was going to go that well because I really did think that that program was just so snake bit. But they they responded to him. The kids have responded to him. The program has responded to him. And Arkansas has been one of the most active and strategic teams in the portal this year coming up. And I think they have some really nice pieces. They are in my top 25, by the way, because I think that they will at least be good enough to be a solid eight win in the regular season ball club coming into this year. I'm not saying they're blowing anybody out, but I'm saying I can see them winning those tough, gritty toss-up games, enough of them to get to eight wins this year. I think he's done a great job. But somebody had a response to that. Mr. Justin Foltz said, well, of course, period. Expectations aren't that big at Arkansas. Bah, boy, bah, bo, bo, bah. I don't know, whatever, B-A-W. Bah, I think that's what he's trying to say. Anyway, all right, one of those Southern euphemisms. Mr. Justin Fultz, everybody is entitled to their opinion. I will say that first off. But secondly, I will say, it's an SEC team. What do you mean the expectations aren't big at Arkansas? It's big in every team in that conference. Every team in the SEC has made the investment. Every team in the SEC has dropped a ton of money on recruiting, retention, on NIL, on trying to leverage the portal, trying to chase the rabbit. That is what they are trying to do at every program down there in the SEC. Shit, we have people talking about Vanderbilt not if they don't go bowling this year, that being a disappointment. Since when in the fuck has Vanderbilt been a team that you'd be disappointed if they didn't go bowling? That's what I'm talking about. That's that's the expectations in Nashville, let alone all these other programs. Of course the expectations are big. Absolutely they are. I'm sorry, I just disagree with that comment, but everybody's entitled to their opinion. Another popular choice under the name of coach who has surpassed your expectations of their current job is Duke's Mike Elko. Last year, having Duke go 8-4 and four in the regular season, getting nine wins with their bowl game. And, yeah, I mean, I would say that's a huge, huge, hugely surpassed expectations, right? Big time. I bring that up because... We're going to talk about a couple of bold predictions to end the show here. And longtime friend of the U crew, Matt Hilliard, the old swamp possum himself, all right, has decided to chime in. We love you, Matt, as usual. Matt was one of my privates in Charlie Company 375. Love that dude. Great guy. He's been a friend of Any Given You for a very long time. I look forward to kicking his ass at Any Given You Fantasy Football again for another year. Duke has a 10-win season, he says. 
Okay, let's unpack this for a second. I am very excited about Duke football, as anybody should be. They actually return quite a bit of production on both sides of the ball. Here's the thing. Two things can be true at once. This year's Duke team can be better than last year's, and the stakes can be higher. Their schedule is brutal. They have Clemson, they have Florida State, they have Notre Dame, they have North Carolina, they have NC State, and they have Wake. Okay? Even if they were to go 500 in that stretch, which I think would be a tall order for this Duke program, that gets you at 9-3. and three. You're going to have to hope for a bowl game win. If everything else went perfect, you're going to have to hope for a bowl win to get to that 10th win. Uh, checking the schedule, just kind of going down it, I only saw four games on the schedule, by the way, that they'd actually be favored in. And one of those games I actually have is more of a toss-up as they will take a trip to UConn, a resurgent UConn program under Jim Mora, who has been getting their wits about them with a fair amount of returning production coming back to that program, and they have to go up to Connecticut to play that game. So I'm not exactly sure about that. I I mean, I think Clemson is solidly a loss. I think Florida State's a loss. I think Notre Dame's a loss. I see Wake as a toss-up. I see UNC as a toss-up because I can never trust UNC. And then I think NC State would find a way to probably beat Duke in a very physical competition. So I actually have them dropping four of those six games I mentioned, which would at best put them at eight and four if they managed to avoid every other landmine. And then lastly on the pod tonight, we have Mr. Josh Farnsworth, a big Sunbelt guy, group of five guy, does a great job racking and stacking G5 power rankings and probably need to have him on a future episode, but he does put that out in the group. Penn State wins the Big Ten is his prediction. And you know what? I think that this year Penn State has good a chance as Ohio State and Michigan. Love the roster. Love the talent that's coming there in Happy Valley. Love the coaching situation. I think the coordinators are fantastic. I think that this Penn State team is set up for just as much success as they have ever, ever had to actually win the conference. And I think that is going to be a bloodbath there in the Big Ten East to get that kind of under control. Like, who is going to come out on top? I don't know. But I am very excited to see what could potentially happen you know, in the Big Ten East this year, when you're talking about Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all crossing paths. I think each one of those teams are perfectly capable of beating one another. And there are some things about Penn State that I like better than what is going on for Michigan, Ohio State. I think that Penn State, if you were to take a look at What they bring to the table, it's almost like they're a combination of both of those programs. I think they have the skill speed and skill talent and just overall raw recruiting talent that's closer to an Ohio State with the sort of development, the 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 trench play in those positions, the big bodies like you're going to get out of Michigan. And I like the way that they're coached. I think they have found a good balance there with Manny Diaz at D coordinator. I think that James Franklin has gotten better, much better as a head coach than he was. I'm a huge, huge critic of his uh, for, for, for quite a while. I think he really was able to turn the corner as the head man there in Penn state. So um, I think that they have just as good a chance as any of those teams. I have Penn state this year as a newcomer to the college football playoff. I do. That is a bold prediction of mine, okay? Now, what that looks like, I don't know. 
Does that mean that they win the Big Ten outright and they go undefeated? Does that mean that they're, let's say, a one-loss team head up with either an Ohio State or a Michigan who then takes their second loss in the Big Ten championship game somehow? Somehow the Big Ten West wins it for the first time in I don't know how long, right? Somehow. And then Penn State is able to backdoor given some other variants and some other things going on. But I will tell you this right now, if Penn State wins at least 11 games and you're sitting there splitting hairs about who to put into the playoff, that is a very popular brand that I do believe that committees would like to see given a chance, given a chance for some fresh blood in that playoff. And I think you could make a real strong argument if Penn State takes care of their business the way that I think they will coming into this year. Very excited to see them take the field, obviously against West Virginia and the rest of their opponents this year with a dynamic duo in the background, a brand-new starting quarterback in Drew Alar, who's extremely talented, and that Manny Diaz defense that is always interesting and one of the best units in the country. And so that does it for tonight's episode of the Any Given You podcast the you crew hath spoken episode one in the books and we certainly appreciate you spending all the time with us thank you so much make sure that you get over to the any given you facebook group uh follow us on instagram at any given you tell your friends about the podcast if you enjoyed this episode and unpacking some of these topics and if i gave you a shout out in this episode make sure that you tell at least five of your friends about the pod, send it to them, text it to them, make them listen to it because we have so much fun over here and we're going to have a lot more fun as we're moving forward here to the 2023 football season. And remember, any given time, any given place, any given team, you get it here at any given you.